Every year, Brother Valier comes by, and uh, we didn't expect him to be here for this morning's service, Sunday school and this morning, because he was at another church, and he was finishing up their review, and uh, he got done early, so he called and says, hey, can I, can I come in on Saturday instead of Sunday afternoon? He was going to get here this afternoon. And uh, so normally when he comes, I have him teach Sunday school or something just to deal with and talk about uh, finance and handling our finance correctly and making sure we're doing it in a biblical or godly way and, you know, pleasing the Lord. We should please the Lord with every part of our life. Amen. 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 Not just, not just uh, you know, the maybe Bible reading or not just uh, this or that, but, but every part of our life should be, you know, bring honor and glory to God. And so that's what... He would normally deal with, and I, I wasn't expecting him here this morning, so I planned and scheduled to be speaking, and I thought, well, he's not here, I'll, I'll deal with it. And so I'm planning this morning to talk about what do you think about your treasure? Uh, what are your thoughts about your treasure? How do you view that which God has blessed you with? I'd like you to look at First Timothy chapter 6 and verses 6 through 10, as we'll be using for a text this morning as we talk about having the right thinking with regards to our treasure. He says here, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it's certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us be therewith content. But they that will be rich fall into temptations and a snare, and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which, well, some coveted after. They've erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. There's some real powerful truths given to us here with regards to how we think about our finance, how we think about our treasure, that which God has blessed us with. I want you to understand this morning that finance, money in itself, is not good or bad. That is something that is in and of itself is not, but what we do with the money is what can be good or bad. I mean, think about the fruit, if you would. Of someone like somebody did here at Hunt Valley Baptist Church, uh, probably four or five, six weeks ago, somebody came to me and said, Pastor, we would like to buy some gospel tracts. And we want to make them available for Hunt Valley Baptist Church. We want to provide these so more people can hear about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, that's a pretty good thing to do with your finance, with your, with your money. But think with me, if you would, about the fruit from that. What, what is the long-term fruit from taking some of the treasure, the, what blessings that we have, and using it in that manner? I mean, it's a pretty good thing that people could hear the gospel. Amen? Amen. First of all, if you've done that, you, you're making it possible for other believers to follow and obey the Great Commission. So that's one possible fruit that comes from doing that, and that's a great thing. Secondly, you are planting seed everywhere that that gospel track is given or spread. As that seed is planted, someone who reads that track and is convicted of their sin and see their need of a Savior, quite possibly will put their faith and trust in Christ and their eternal destiny is changed from an eternity in hell to eternity in heaven. 
because of a piece of paper that has a clear presentation of God's saving grace, his plan of salvation. I mean, you can rejoice about that, amen? The, the angels in heaven rejoice about it. And that's the fruit of doing that with your finance. But consider with me, if you would, the fruit of going down the street here and buying some drugs. I mean, I don't know where you'd do that. You'd have to ask Brother Hunt where to do that. Because um, I'm not sure, but, you know, he might be able to help you. But let's say you go down the, re- the street and you, you buy some drugs. First of all, I want you to know that you're giving your money to a group of people that are going to take that and continue to propagate and promote the most wicked and basest uh, acts of society. That it's not just the fruit of you getting the drugs. We're going to get to that in a second. But the fruit of that money and where it goes as soon as it's gone. Now that money, let's say some young man gets it and goes and buys a fifth of whiskey. Goes and drinks that fifth of whiskey out in uh, some park somewhere by himself all alone. And then he jumps in his car and tries to drive home and has a wreck and kills somebody. The fruit of the money that you provided in that way, goes to that end. That's not a very good fruit. Maybe you go out and get these drugs and you come home and you consume those drugs and they slowly destroy and deteriorate the life that you value and hold precious. Maybe one of your children sees you doing that and they, for the first time, Try drugs from your stash when you're not around. What I'm saying is the fruit from that action, from from the same few dollars of money, in one hand you've got fruit over here that you can rejoice about, and on the other hand you've got fruit over here that brings sadness and destruction. So it's not money in and of itself that is either good or bad, but what we're doing with our money, and we want to be having a proper thought Think with me, if you would, about the fruit of Achan's love of money. You know, he sought and he stole. And I bring this up just because we talked about it recently. And it's a familiar story to you. But he went and got that, those, he desired those fine clothes and that gold and that silver. And he took it. I mean, he knew it was wrong. Why else would he have hid it under his tent? He knew it was wrong. That's why he hid it. You know, it's kind of funny. The smallest of kids know when they're doing wrong. And it's amazing because they try and hide it. But what kids don't realize is how blatantly obvious it is to a parent, you know, uh, to an adult. I mean, you walk in and they're like super innocent like nothing in the world has ever happened and it is written all over their face and, you know, they've got their hands behind their back or they're sitting on something and they're like, would you come here? And they're like, you know, uh, whatever. It's so obvious that they've been involved in something they shouldn't be involved in and a little bit of prodding, a parent can figure it out pretty quick. You know, God's the same way. We're, we're not hiding anything from him. Achan thought, well, just a little bit is not going to hurt. But you know the story. 36 men lost their lives and wives lost their husbands. And God judged the nation as a whole all because of his sin. The fruit of 
doing the right thing or the wrong thing can have far-reaching implications. Brandon and Valerie just got married. You guys still happy? (laughs) They're about three weeks in. (laughs) Uh, You know, so... You know, that, that they're, they're on their honeymoon. They're starting their life out. And, uh, you know, you've seen a lot of young couples. They're just getting started. And they'll take that little piece of plastic. And they'll think, boy, I, I, we need to have a new couch. And we got to have this. And instead of buying a, a, a broken down, you know, piece of junk lawnmower, they go out and buy a $5,000 rider, you know. They, they go out and... and and what I'm saying is they want to have everything right away. They don't have any control. And they think, well, it's just a small purchase. Right now, it's just lunch. I'm just going to put it on, on the plastic. I'm not saying they're doing this. I'm not saying they're, I'm sure Brandon wouldn't do that. I'm just saying young people as a whole, a lot of times go take that plastic. And they think, oh, it's not that much, not that big a deal. What, what, it's just a little bit. What can that hurt? You adults that you've been there, you, you, you can say, you give a little while, you'll see how much it hurts. You give it a little bit when that credit card is demanding 17, 18, 20, 21%. And you're having a hard time just paying the interest. There's a man in our church, he's since gone home to be with the Lord. He told me, use my story, help people. He was paying over $450 a month just interest on his credit cards. He said every month the money that he made, all he could do is pay the interest. He, could, he, he did not have any money in order to pay anything on the principles. At 70-some years old, he had to sell his home, and all of it paid his credit card debt. 70-some years old, he had nothing. And he said, I did it to myself. He says, tell the young people, to stop using the plastic. What I'm saying is you think it's not that big a deal, but it is. There's far-reaching implications of how we use our funds. So I want to look at this text here and give you a few things, and we'll walk down here. I want you to see, first of all, we need to have right priorities with regards to our, our finances, with regards to our life. Right actions with our money will always be born out of a right priorities in our life. Okay, right, let me give that to you again. Right actions with our money will always be born out of right priorities with our life. He says here in verse number six, but godliness with contentment is great gain. He talks about that which is great gain. You know, often in society, we improperly define gain. We think about gain as uh, how many cars do I have in the driveway or is it this kind of a car versus that kind of a car? Is gain the, the how many bedrooms I have in my house or how many square feet I have under the roof or gain is, is do I have so many weeks of vacation and what's my annual salary? And we base our gain on those things. But I want you to know that not accord, according to the Bible, that is not what gain is. Godliness is great gain. Our priority, Christians, should be first to be godly. True gain is godliness. The world doesn't place a very high value on godliness, but I want you to know the Word does. The Word of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, God in heaven, the creator of the universe and the savior of your soul puts high value on godliness. 
it's considered great gain. You say, well, I don't have much money, but are you godly? According to God, according to your heavenly bank account, that's far more value going to reap and occur a lot better interest than a big checking account here down at SunTrust. Godliness is gain. The Bible says, what should it profit a man if he should gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Could I tell you, beloved, that godliness begins with justification. With being justified by Jesus Christ, being forgiven of your sin. True godliness is something that's imparted unto us, given to us by God, and something that, that we are justified, which you know is just as if I had never sinned, been forgiven by God, by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. That's where godliness comes from. But then godliness is perfected in our sanctification. It begins with justification. It's something we can't do. You can't justify yourself. You can't forgive yourself of your sin. You can't work hard enough to cover all of your sin. But Jesus Christ paid the debt and he can forgive it and it's taken care of. You can be justified by the Heavenly Father. But then there's a process of sanctification where, through which we become more and more like God. Sanctification is to be set apart, sanctified, not sanctimonious, but sanctified, set apart. Sanctimonious is being puffed up, being all like the Pharisees, like look at me. But sanctified means set apart, means slowly through our lives, how many of you would say, God's still working on me? I don't mean me, I mean you. <laughs> right? you say, you're like, yep, preacher, we know God's working on you, amen? <laughs> this is a work in progress. Uh, we know that to be true. But that's the process of sanctification. Amen. That God is slowly molding us into his, his image, making us more like him. And beloved, godliness is great gain. Secondly, we see that godliness or, or that our priority should be on contentment. Contentment. So not only is godliness gain, but contentment is gain. He says, listen, godliness with contentment is great gain. If you're right now thinking in your heart and mind, well, if I just had, I would be content. You're fooling yourself. <laughs> because, beloved, contentment is not gained by the acquisition of more things. It just doesn't happen. On the statue of Joseph Barthon is the inscription, a man's richest consent uh, is not the amount of his wealth, but in the fewness of his wants. A man's riches consists not of the amount of his wealth, but in the fewness of his wants. I heard a story this week, a young man giving his story. He came to America from another country. And the opulence and wastefulness of America left him speechless time and time again. He came from a war-torn village. The rebel forces came into his village. They shot people just for fun, just used them as target practices. They were trying to run and flee they did unspeakable, horrendous things to the weaker, 
people of the village. Some of the ladies and some of the children, some of the kids, those that could, escaped. As they tried to escape, they, they got into the bush and, and they, they fled. They went days and days without any food or water, finding little mud holes to drink water of, out of and talking about how just that, even though it was dirty, filthy water that you just had no idea what kind of thing was, was growing in there, he said the water just was so life-giving, so refreshing after being that long. Finally, they made it to a uh, refugee camp, and in the refugee camp where there was over 25,000 displaced people, in the refugee camp, they were thrilled and excited about the fact that they had a, just a small tent, just something over their head, and a place on the ground to lay their body. Side by side, huddled together in a tent with two other families, but a place to lay their head. They would stand in line for three to five hours a day for one handful of rice. And that was their food for the day. They would go stand in line to get a small amount of water to be able to make that rice and to have something to drink. And they talked about how grateful and how thankful they were to have that because just a few days before they were out in the jungle with nothing and they didn't even know if they were going to live and they, they, they were in this refugee camp thinking man these people are providing this to us for nothing we don't have to do anything for it we just have to he came to America and the opulence and the wastefulness just shocked him over and over and over again he just saw he, he, he grew up where he never really had shoes any shoes. He talked about some kids that he came across for the first time and how they had so many different pairs of shoes. And he grew up where he had one pair of pants that were really more like shorts because they were wore out, cut off. And he had two shirts. He was in a room of a young, man, young person here in America and he was talking about how he couldn't find anything to wear. And he says, and I looked at this closet overflowing with clothes. That's America. You see, contentment is not gained by the acquisition of more things. As a matter of fact, it's probably quite the opposite. It really is a state of our heart. Beloved, what we need to have is a right perspective. So that contentment will be part of our heart. We see in verse number seven, he says, for we brought nothing into this world and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us be therewith content. Having a right perspective, realizing, acknowledge, listen, we came into this world with nothing at all. And the day is going to come when we're going to leave this world and have nothing to carry with us. You can't take it with you. you, you, you you've heard it said there's no U-Hauls following the hearse. I mean, it's not going to go with you. It doesn't even matter if they bury it with you. By the way, let me just throw this in, and this is completely free. Please don't bury your valuables, okay? It, it goes into the ground, and it goes to nothing. At the very least, take it and give it to charity. Do something with it. Don't just stick it in the ground. Say, well, that's a $25,000 ring. It's a family heirloom. We're going to bury it with grandma. Take it and feed the poor or something. Don't stick it in the ground. They're not going to have it over there. They can't take it with them. Anything that goes in the ground is just, you know, you came from nothing, you're going to go back to it. 
Now, we know that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So you understand I'm not dealing with that topic right now or talking about that. I'm talking about what you put in the ground. This old body, you can't, you can't take stuff from this earth with you. We brought nothing into this world and it's certain we can carry nothing out. Having food and raiment therewith, let us be content. Only those that have taken time and effort and energy to send things on ahead are going to have anything over there. Consider with me the rich farmer in Luke chapter 12, those familiar verses, that rich farmer, he says, and he spake a parable unto them, saying, the ground of a certain rich man brought forth plenty. And he thought within himself, saying, what shall I do? Because I have no room wherewith to bestow my fruits. And he said, well, this will I do. I'll pull down my barns. I'll build greater. And there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And will say to my soul, soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then whose shall these things be? You see, this rich man didn't have a right perspective. In his heart and mind, he thought, oh, I could just gather all these things. And you know what? Uh, where I've got to store these things is not big enough. So I need to get bigger things to store my things in. And oh, boy, I'm doing really, really good. And God says, you're a fool. That's not what's important. That is not what's valuable. This night thy soul shall be required of thee. He had a wrong perspective. He thought he could just keep accumulating one reporter asked J.D. Rockefeller, I mean, come on, J.D., how much is enough? And he said, one more dollar. One more dollar. It's always going to be one more dollar. It's, it's never enough for a man whose heart is discontent. And I wonder, beloved, if we, even as God's people, are not like this rich farmer. We know the Lord. We know that he's in control, but we've accumulated so much. Been blessed with so much. Instead, still we collect more. I wonder if we shouldn't stop and take an evaluation and see if we have too much stuff. I want you to see, beloved, that we need to have not just the right perspective, but we need to have the right purpose in our life. What is your purpose? Verse number nine, he says, but they that will be rich. This is somebody whose purpose is to be rich, whose goal in life. He said, here's what happens to somebody whose purpose is to get wealth. He says, you're going to fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lust. I mean, you think about it, somebody whose goal is just to attain more and more and more. And you see it a lot. I mean, I don't know how much you older folks, you know, watch YouTube and these different things, but all these young guys, they see it. They see all these people out there talking about how they turned this business into, you know, took $500 and turned it into $5,000 a month and, and took this and turned it into this. Now I'm making two and a half million a year. And uh, all of this, the, the desire, here's what you can do for your side hustle. Seven side hustles to make guaranteed income. There's so many side hustles out there, it's unbelievable. There's nothing wrong with a side hustle. You got to do that to make ends meet, pay the bills. There's nothing wrong with that. I'm not preaching against those things. I'm just saying, what is your, what is your priority? What is your goal, your purpose in life? Is it just to gain as much as you can? Those who make wealth a priority in their life end up 
with a lot of other hurts, those who would be wealthy over all else. We see that the love of money is the root of all evil. There's fruit, there's fruit, beloved, that's going to be reaped come harvest time when that's your goal. I mean, really, what is your ultimate purpose in life? Solomon, that the wisest man who ever lived. After having all really that this world can offer, I mean, everything from a human standpoint that this world has to offer, Solomon had it all, and you know that he says uh, that all is vanity of vexation of soul and spirit. After coming to that conclusion, and says, listen, it's all vanity. The acquisition of all these things in my life, I've gained it all. I have everything this world has to offer, and my, my heart is empty, and I'm sick to my stomach about how wasteful it is, and it means nothing to me. After coming to that conclusion, he came to this conclusion in Ecclesiastes 12, verse 13. He says, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. So what is your purpose in life? Having a correct purpose will help you use that treasure that God has blessed you with in a correct way. I want you to look down in verse number 17. I didn't read this text, but I want to give you my last point here. In verse number 17, we see we need to have the right protection. He says, charge them that are rich. Notice who it is that he's talking to here. Charge them that are rich. Can I just say that by the world's standards, everybody in this room is rich. I know by our standards and by uh, America and, you know, by the guy down the street or maybe even the guy down the pew, you look at yourself and you say, man, I'm not rich. I'm barely making it. I can't hardly put gas in the car. I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to pay the light bill. But you have a house that has a light bill. You have a home. You have a place. What I'm saying is we don't like to think about it, but we really are rich. He says, charge them that are rich in this world, that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. So having the right protection is your security in life coming from the fact that you have a big 401k? Well, you've got a pretty good example that that 401k can be cut in half pretty quick. Some of you that are of retirement age, the last year and a half, been pretty hard. You, you know, your, your riches, you look at and you think, boy, I'm, I'm doing good. I'm okay. I've got plenty, to, plenty left. You know, that could be gone tomorrow. If our security and our protection is in the size of our bank account or how much money we've got stashed away somewhere or what kind of gold we've got put away or coins or uh, maybe antiques or maybe you've got it divided up in different things. But ultimately, and I'm not saying don't plan and use some wisdom and, and listen, the Bible tells us consider the ant. Thou sluggard, we've got a, the prudent man foreseeth the evil. We've got to plan and prepare. That's one of the things Brother Valier will talk to you about when he's here. He'll say, listen, let's plan for the future. What are we doing? Where is this money going to be invested? Uh, is it just sitting in the bank? Why? You should be getting a return on that. Listen, where can we put it? He'll, he'll help you with those things, and that's great. But is your security there? Is your protection there? Or is your protection from God? Amen. He, is, he is the one. But in the living God who giveth us Richly all things to enjoy. 
we need to pray for God's great protection. He tells us, don't trust in those uncertain riches. They can't be relied upon. You know, we have a lot of unique things in this part of the country that we get to see. It's a real pleasure to live in this area. There's a lot of history here. We're so close to D.C. and you're like, I would never go to D.C. Well, uh, I I enjoy seeing the things that are down there, a part of our country, our nation, our heritage. Uh, One of the things I enjoy going to is the U.S. Mint. It's just really cool to see a full pallet of money, you know. <laughs> I mean, just <laughs> I don't know how many millions of dollars that full pallet. Like they're moving money with pallet jacks, and you're like, man, that's awesome. <laughs> you know, you go to the mint, you go take the tour, and you're going to learn some of their history. You know how they, what they do, how they deter uh, the copycats, the uh, counterfeiters. You know, uh, the the science behind how they print their bills and all of these things. But one of the things you'll also learn is that they burn up every year five to six billion dollars. Five to six billion dollars of worn out bills gets burned. The average lifespan of a bill is three to five years for your one dollar through twenty dollar denomination. So all the $1 bills in, in about three years are going to be, they'll take them off the market, they'll burn them, and they print new ones. The higher denominations last longer, seven, eight years uh, for like a $50 bill. We don't see many of those, you know. I think they last around eight years. But you kind of, you learn some of this stuff at the Mint. But they burn it up. Can I tell you it's all going to burn up someday? It's all going to burn up someday. It doesn't matter how much of it we have. He says, listen, we we should not be high-minded or trust in these riches, but in the living God. So what, what should we do? He tells us here. He says, enjoy. Enjoy. He says, who giveth us richly all things. What's the last two words? To enjoy. Hey, there's nothing wrong with enjoying what God has blessed you with. God's been good to you. How many of you say, God's been good to me? Amen. God's been good, man. God's been so good to us. And, and you know what? He says here, God has given you that, that you might enjoy it. There's nothing uh, unspiritual about enjoying what God has blessed you with, and there's nothing wrong with that. You don't you have to go crawl in a hole somewhere and, and you know, eat dirt and say, you know, listen, I, I'm, I'm poor and I got nothing. No, God, God is glorified by how he blesses richly his children. That, that brings honor and glory to him. He says, hey, you can enjoy it, but use it wisely. Beloved, we have become a society that indulges in extravagance. The life of the rich and famous. Oh, we like to see that, don't we? We like to see the extravagance. We like to, boy, wouldn't it be neat to, to have that or to be able to do that or to, to, to buy that boat or to have that house. And look at that swimming pool. It has a slide right out of the kid's bedroom and, you know, all, all of these things. You know, just the extravagance. I mean, you got three people living in a 20,000 square foot home. This building is 15,000 square feet. Um, you guys know who Kevin Plank is? Kevin Plank is the owner of Under Armour. Kevin's Plank's house is 2,000 square feet larger 
than the church building that we were going to build on Shawan Road. Now, I don't remember the exact, I think it was like 32,000 square feet. Yeah, that's right. That's way they can, they can live in the same house and not see each other, you know. I, I don't know. I mean, just, you talk about the extravagance. And you say, oh, amen, preacher, that's extravagant. But I wonder about us. There was one philosopher trying to teach his pupils against wasteful living, against extravagance. And the students excused themselves saying, but sir, we are rich enough to indulge in this extravagance. And to that he said, well, would you excuse your cook for oversalting his meat just because he had an abundance of it? Just because he had a whole lot of salt doesn't mean he needs to dump it all on your steak, amen? <laughs> There, there's, a, there's, a, there's part of it that makes it enjoyable, and there's nothing wrong with it enjoying it. But then it moves into wastefulness or extravagance, and God's saying you're going to be held accountable for what you do with what I've given you. Where that funds or where, those, where that treasure is being used, and if it's being consumed in a wasteful or extravagant way, uh, opposed to being used to do something good with it. Look what he says in verse number 18. He says that they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate. So what should you do? You should enjoy God's blessing. He says enjoy it. But he also says do good with it. Do good with it. You know, oftentimes God will give through you what he will not give to you. It is God's plan that we be distributors, not cisterns. It's never God's plan that we should just keep taking in, taking in, taking in, taking in. But we should be doing good with what God has given us, giving through us. Be distributors. Are you a distributor? Are you a willing, eager distributor? You know, my dad and tried to teach us as kids, and I've got to get to a close here. My dad tried to teach us as kids to be giving. And so I've never really, I don't worry about money. I never really have to the uh, irritation of my wife. Not, not really. But um, I just don't worry about it much. And anyways, dad taught us to be givers. And uh, so one year he, we, we went to camp, and we were at camp, and he gave us all $10 to use for camp, to buy things at the snack shop and to, you know, kind of get some treats and get a soda and throughout the week. And uh, Monday night after the service, three of his kids came up to him and said, Dad, we need some more money. He said, why? You spent that all already? He's, they, and the kids said, no, we put it in the offering tonight. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, well, they said they needed it, so we gave it to them. <laughs> it's gone. I was like, well, that's not really, let's, let's get a balance here. <laughs> Where did you get that money? <laughs> you know, this is supposed to be used for, for you know, and uh, what do you do with that as a parent? You know, like, uh, you shouldn't have gave that money. Uh, well, I don't know. How do you, well, praise the Lord. <laughs> but you could teach them a lesson, say, listen, you gave what was yours away, and that's wonderful, but that's the money you had. There's no more money coming from dad. 
you know, you could teach him that lesson or you can do what dad did. He gave us a couple bucks, you know, get us through. But, um, you know, my dad was nicer than me. <laughs> but, you know, just, just what I'm saying is use what God's given you, but be, do good with it. Be a giver. Help others. Put your money to work on eternal things. Beloved, the return on that vestment, as they say, is out of this world. You put your money to work on eternal things, it's something that you send ahead. We can build a good foundation. Look at verse number 19, and I'm bringing it to a close. We're, going to, we're landing the plane, as, as Zach said on Thursday night. He says in verse number 19, laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. Now, I just want to be clear here that this is not describing or saying that you can buy heaven. You can't. If you had all the money in the world, you couldn't buy your way into heaven. Jesus Christ paid that for you. All you've got to do to get that is accept him as your Lord and Savior. Let him forgive you of your sin and you'll have an eternity in heaven. That's, that's done. That's settled. You could never pay that yourself. But... Because that's already been paid, what you can do is you can lay up treasure in heaven. You can, as he described here, lay up a good foundation. Our acceptance in heaven is not based off what we give, but you know the Bible talks about our rewards in heaven are based off what we do. You can lay up that good foundation. You can prepare for that day. You know, when I went to India in 2018, I had some dollars in my pocket. But, you know, they weren't any good there. I couldn't use them. Didn't matter how much, how many dollars I had in my pocket, they were, they were no use in India. I had to go to the currency exchange. I had to take what I had on me and give it to them and get it exchanged for rupees. And then I could use it. Well, that's what we do in heaven. What we have down here on earth is not any use. But you can take it to the currency exchange. You can do good with it. You can invest in eternal things. And you're sending it on ahead. You're preparing and creating a great foundation for that day. The princess Eugenia, sister of the king of Sweden, she once sold her diamond rings to raise funds to complete a hospital in a nearby town. When the building was completed, she stopped and they made a big ordeal about her investment in the hospital and were walking her through the halls. And She walked into a room and standing beside a suffering man, he looked up at her and with tears in his eyes said, thank you. Thank you for making it possible for me to be in this bed. She looked down at him and she said, now I see my diamonds again. And beloved, one day when we walk on the streets of gold and somebody looks into your eyes and shakes your hand and says, thank you for giving to missions. So somebody would come and tell my mom and dad, about Jesus 
And they trusted Christ, and I trusted Christ. And you see my brother and my sister down here, they, they trusted Christ. Thank you for investing in eternal things. And you can say, now I see my diamonds again. What you hold on to, you never keep. But what you give, you always